0: This is The Guardian. Alzheimer's. It accounts for nearly two thirds of the 55 million people living with dementia worldwide, and it's the leading cause of death in the UK. It costs us £25 billion a year, and that's expected to double by 2050. Until now, the prognosis has been bleak, with diagnosed patients facing a slow, harrowing decline. But in November, researchers announced a therapy that might see the dawn of a new era for Alzheimer's treatment. So, just how effective is this new drug? And could a cure for Alzheimer's be on the horizon? For The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample and this is Science Weekly. Professor Nick Fox, you're the director of the Dementia Research Centre at UCL and you've been looking closely at this new research into Alzheimer's. How exactly does Alzheimer's work?
1: Well, Alzheimer's is the commonest cause of dementia And it's a neurodegenerative disease. By that, I mean neurons degenerate over time, synapses are lost. And as those connections between nerve cells break down, all the things that make us a thinking human gradually break down, with memory typically being the first change. The driving cause in terms of biology, we now understand that there is a particular abnormal protein called amyloid that is deposited in the brain and the brain can't clear it out. Another protein called tau builds up in tangles of dead or dying neurons and then connections are lost, and that then, after a number of years, has toxic effects on our brain cells. So there is a long period of amyloid buildup, followed by the accumulation of tau, followed by destruction of neurons, followed by symptoms, that all occur prior to diagnosis, probably a 20-year window. And how common is
0: Alzheimer's and what sort of impact is it having?
1: Ah, Alzheimer's is, I mean, really, no pun intended, is the public health challenge of our age. Your risk of dementia, largely due to Alzheimer's disease, doubles with every five or six years you live over the age of 60, so it's relatively infrequent in people under 60 but rises to one in six in people in their early 80s to one in three or higher when you reach your 90s. And we're now living in many parts of the world, such as the UK, into our 80s. So if you put those two facts together, one in three of us can expect to have Alzheimer's disease at some point in our life and that probably reflects our improved survival from cancer, from heart disease, because we've got many more older people. However, really interestingly, if you look at comparisons with now and 20 years ago, for a particular age bracket, our prevalence of the disease at that age seems to have been dropping. There's lots of speculation why that is, but if you look at the relationship with Age, the people who are in their 80s now, will have been the generation where there were good treatments for high blood pressure, where we have improved midlife risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. So on the one hand, numbers are going up because we're living longer, but our risk at any particular age seems to be falling in in the UK, Scandinavian countries and in in North America. Can you give us a sense of
0: what efforts have been made in the past to treat Alzheimer's, like what's been done before now?
1: Alzheimer's disease, in many ways, is decades behind diseases like cancer in terms of the research that's gone in, the investment, and also the treatments that are available. It's now several decades since the first symptomatic treatments for Alzheimer's disease were discovered and licensed. And by symptomatic, I mean it doesn't change the underlying destruction of the brain, but it makes your brain circuits work a bit harder.
0: Nick, can you give us a sense then of what happened at this year's clinical trials on Alzheimer's meeting in San Francisco? Researchers were really excited in the run-up to that meeting, but also we've seen that afterwards
1: as well? Uh, I think uh, it's an amazing moment for the field. You have to be careful not to overstate, but I think this is the first time that we have seen real disease modification, and that has resulted in less symptomatic decline, less cognitive decline, less functional decline. A class of therapies called monoclonal antibodies, so antibodies against amyloid, have been one of the dominant areas of clinical trials. And we've had a few suggestions in early phase studies with a couple of these therapies that they really do remove amyloid, and they might be producing clinical benefit. But this meeting showed for the first time that you not only could remove amyloid and remove a lot of it, but that translated into less cognitive decline, less functional decline, and those were consistent effects. Truly an important moment.
0: And what is the name of that drug? And can you give any numbers on the benefits or the improvement it was producing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So lecanemab targets the amyloid protein. And in just 18 months, the amyloid level in the brain of people in the trial, two-thirds of them, had their amyloid essentially cleared from the brain, which is remarkable when you think that it's taken 20 years for the amyloid to build up in the brain. Two-thirds of the participants didn't have enough amyloid in the brain to qualify for the trial. Now, we've seen amyloid move before, but the really big difference with this was there was a 27% slowing, slowing by more than a quarter of the rate of decline over that 18-month period in the treated people as opposed to the placebo. But also over that 18 months, you know, it's obviously taken
0: some time for the amyloid to come down. There's going to be a lag, isn't there, between reducing the amyloid and seeing some sort of improvement in the patients. And I wonder whether actually these patients get followed for longer or whether, you know, the improvement may get better or, you know, the the effect may get better if one were to look at these people at 36 months or what have you.
1: That's the absolutely critical, critical question. If we get, this slowing of a few months of benefit in effect, this 27% slowing of decline, and that's it, well, really, that's not going to make a huge amount of difference. What really matters is if that is cumulative. Then we're really starting to get additional years where people have independence. We need to talk about the the
0: downsides. I mean, you know, every drug has its downsides, in, including actual side effects and monoclonal antibodies are certainly, you know, no exception in in that. What are the downsides of this drug in particular?
1: Each of the monoclonal antibodies, pretty much everyone that has removed amyloid at least from the brain has these side effects to a greater or lesser extent. Areas of Patchy edema within the brain, so that's swelling and fluid leaking out from the brain, and some tiny little microhemorrhages, little tiny bleeds. The important thing, because this has caused a lot of uh, concern in in the press, is that of those people, eighty percent who had these changes on a brain scan had no symptoms, no discernible symptoms.
0: What we haven't talked about, Nick, is that these. Drugs, they are expensive, and a second issue is whether the, you know, if this drug gets approved in the UK, and it'd be great to know whether you think it would, whether the NHS is equipped to actually give it, whether we can identify the right patients, get it to them, and actually maximise our benefit from it.
1: Well, the short answer to that is we're far from prepared. We just do not have the capability to deliver this if it was licensed tomorrow. So first of all, everybody needed to be shown that they were amyloid positive, that they had amyloid in their brain. And that could either be from an amyloid PET scan, there are very few PET scanners in in the UK, or a lumbar puncture to take a sample of cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, which would also look for the presence of amyloid in the brain. In the UK, probably 2% of people who've got Alzheimer's get a lumbar puncture or possibly less. The study has to also have an MRI, a brain scan, to confirm the diagnosis and make sure there isn't something else going on. At the moment, even though the recommendation is that everybody with Alzheimer's disease or dementia should have a brain scan, it's a tiny proportion of people with dementia who actually get a brain scan. And then we will need to be able to provide intravenous infusions. And that would really require scaling up of capacity. So it's going to take a huge challenge. but previously incurable diseases, some of the cancers, HIV AIDS, required us to do a real step change in how we provided investigation and treatment. And we have risen to some of those challenges before. I am hopeful, but it's going to be quite a challenge.
0: I want to get your thoughts finally Nick on where we're going what is going to happen sort of in the sort of foreseeable future around this I mean do you see lecanemab being used as a treatment and do you see it actually having an impact on on other treatments you know may may it lead pave the way to
1: other treatments for alzheimers lecanemab needs to get through Probably first the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, it needs to get get approval then. And then health systems around the world they often can take months or, or, or more than a year. But I think there's a head of steam behind this. I think this will get approved. I, I think we are not in a position uh, at the moment to deliver it. But I'd like to think that this will be the first of many other therapies. And we've got other therapies coming down the, the line. Dananumab, also another monoclonal antibody, is due to read out I- in the next few months. And it showed really promising amyloid removal in its early phase two studies.
0: Do you think we can now sort of allow ourselves to start getting hopeful for a cure for Alzheimer's, or, or if not at least something that would prevent it from the off? I do
1: feel like we will be slowing disease Will it be more than 27%? Will it be sustained? Will it be cumulative? I really hope so, but we don't know until we have the evidence. Interestingly, when one talks about prevention, if you have a disease that is a late onset disease, if you slow the onset of symptoms, then you are going to reduce the number of people who ever get symptoms, because people will die of something else. So it may well lead to prevention in that sense. We have to do the trials at an earlier stage, as well as looking for the cumulative long-term benefit to know when is the best time for people to start these therapies. It's been a very long journey, but I do feel we are at an exciting juncture. It's over 30 years since the first gene for Alzheimer's disease was, was found. Decades after that, we get therapies. Decades after that, we get therapies that make a meaningful clinical benefit. Uh, I'd like to see that pace accelerate.
0: Nick, huge thanks for coming on and taking us through all this. It's been really great to have you on.
1: Well, thank you very much. Um, it's a privilege to see these changes and to talk about them. Thanks again to Professor Nick
0: Fox. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles with sound design by Tony Onachuku And the executive producer was Georgia Moody. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Wo findet man professionelle Labortechnik? Hm. Lötstationen, Digitalmultimeter und elektronische Bauelemente. Alle diese Produkte gibt es von Multicom Pro zum günstigen Preis. Erfahren Sie mehr unter de.fanel.com slash multicomp-pro. Multicomp Pro. Die erste Wahl von Entwicklern. Dank starker Qualität, überzeugendem Wert und großem Produktangebot.